Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's associate director and your host, Emma Callender. Hello and welcome to the Travcast. I'm Emma Callender, the Associate Director of the Travis, and this is my chance to speak with writers about their process. So I'm joined today by Mark Thomas, who's a comedian, writer, campaigner and general troublemaker, I can say, as he's uh, drawing little pictures on the chair that he's sitting on opposite me. Um, Mark was with us two years ago at the 2012 um, Edinburgh Festival with his show Bravo Figaro and will be returning with Cuckooed at this year's festival. So Mark, would you call yourself a writer? Yes, but only under duress. <laughs> um, I'd, I, for me, the process of writing and performing go hand in hand, so it is something that is completely entwined. I don't sit down in a room. I don't sort of wait for the muse to come. I don't do this separately. Writing is intrinsically an active thing that you get up and you tell the stories and you go through the process of actually what you want to talk about. And when you've got it up on stage and you're doing it, then you can start go, oh, I need to put that bit there and that needs to be moved and that needs to come around there. But it's only through actually getting up and doing it and, and being active about it that you actually come up with the material and you actually produce uh, the written word. The written word's the last bit for me that's a, the process for me is to actually get up and do it and tell the stories and actually writing it down the only reason i write it down is because bloody technicians insist on having cues that's the only reason i actually do a script you've written plays that you haven't been performing in as well though, haven't you? i did write uh, something for theater uncut indeed you're absolutely right which um which was really interesting i found that really really interesting because um for a start other people when I get up and perform, it's a very solitary thing. I get up there, I tell the story. When other people come and do your work, it's, I find the process really interesting because it's like, no, no, I didn't mean it like that, but that's good. And I kind of, I like that and it becomes more collaborative. And this is one of the things that, actually, I was, I was, I was kind of glad that you asked me to do this because I suddenly thought, well, one of the things that is my preoccupation with writing or, or, or performing is how do you break out of the straitjacket of stand-up? Now, stand-up comedy is where I started, and, and, you know, nearly 29 years ago, and there was a very different scene 29 years ago. There were no comedy workshops. You couldn't go and learn stand-up comedy. You, there was no career path as such. Uh, when it started, it was this very much an explosion of all sorts of things. It was kind of the fallout, the kind of variety fallout of punk rock, to a degree. So you had all sorts of different people being involved. So you had uh, people who, like Manchester University and Rick Mayle and Abe Edmondson and Ben Elton and those people, they were coming in. Then you mm-hmm. had people like Alexi Sale, who was coming into it. You had a whole load of cabaret artistes, you had street performers, you had, um, a, you had a whole load of performance artists who were finding a new home uh, in cabaret, which was really, really exciting. And of course you had lots and lots of people who were involved in theatre. This was a moment, if you look at the explosion of stand-up comedy, it's the moment when theatre starts to lose its subsidy and suddenly people are going, okay, where do we work? So lots and lots of, of, of actors were suddenly working in stand-up the interesting thing about that apart from 
that wonderful explosion of creativity and the feeling of being underground and creating something new. And now I don't think there is that with stand-up. I think there is very much a, this is how you do it. You can be part of the mainstream culture. Um, and I've never really been interested in that. I've never wanted to be part of mainstream culture. Mainstream culture has always appalled me. So I think actually the idea that actually you, you, you wanted to do something that was secret, that was underground, that was naughty... When stand-up started, it becomes this ultimate Thatcherite economic model because suddenly you have one person telling their stories, getting up there, you need no support, it's a single businessman or woman, they write their own material, they come up with their own stuff, they're disciplined, they have a vested interest in making it work, and they work all the hours. It's like being a self-employed, small business person. Now, when you look and you step back and you go, okay, well, what does that mean in terms of theatre? It takes out the collaborative element of it. There is no collaboration uh, between the writer, the actors, the director, the, uh, the, the, the script editor, between uh, artists, between um, stagecraft, between uh, the, all of those disciplines that go into theatre. The collaborative nature and the cooperative nature of it is, is wrenched from it. So what you end up is one solitary person, a Thatcherite unit. And that's what television found out that was really intriguing for them because they didn't have to pay for rehearsals. They didn't have to pay for directors and rooms. They didn't have to pay for actors and all of that. You just got, line up all these people, you create some khaki old backdrop, look like it's some New York subway or something like that. And then you <laughs> stick a mic there and you film them. They get on with it and these people will gab for ages and they'll do it for peanuts because they want the exposure so they can go out, sell DVDs later on and do national tours. Now yeah. for me, the idea of performing in an arena is nuts. Mm-hmm. Performing to thousands of people in, sta- in comedy where you're trying to communicate intricacies mm-hmm. of life and thought and feeling, you go along to see a live event because you've seen something on the telly and it's so far away you have to watch the screens to understand it. Mm. Now that seems to me complete madness. <laughs> so I've always loved, what I've always loved are these things of how you break out of that. How do you mm. break out of that solitary economic unit how do you find those Mm. ways of collaborating and i'm I'm sort of obsessed with how you get different voices into solo shows how you get uh if you like a dialogue Mm -hmm. within the solo shows a couple of years ago there was an art exhibition up here uh by nan june paik from the fluxus movement and it was fantastic because what it's about is this whole idea that actually you can have participation within an art event Mm-hmm. Now, he was really the sort of John the Baptist of video art, mm-hmm. you know, and the irony is we've served him up MTV. But the point is, he was the John the Baptist of it. And one of the things he did was he got public broadcast in America to do a five hour experimental broadcast. Yoko Ono, as part of the Fluxus movement, uh, got the Beatles to provide the music, and he ran around with magnets changing the analog signal so you wobbled the whole set. And he urged people to move their aerials around so they could be part of the creative process. <laughs> Doesn't matter that you can only stand this for five minutes, it's the idea of participation mm. that's really thrilling. So, you're speaking about the difference um, of creating a show that you're performing yourself and then writing a play that's performed by other people. Mm. You mentioned at the very beginning that that was quite a strange uh, sensation for you to see other people performing your words. Yeah. Uh, what are the differences for you of those two different experiences? Um, I have to say I was pleasantly surprised because the bits that you write and you see other people doing it and it works, you go, oh, you've got it, you know how this works. And then they'll do something and you think, oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> so <laughs> That's a you pleasant actually, surprise. It is a pleasant surprise because what you actually do is because that creative process means that 
new ideas and new thoughts and new ways are brought to bear upon it. Mm. And that's really thrilling. Mm. It was really interesting watching you go through the process of writing as well, (laughs) sitting across the kitchen table as you were writing it, at the beginning of it, and watching you really become each one of those characters. That seemed to be your way in of really working out how and why and what. And I was watching you almost performing each one of them. Well, yeah. I mean, I wanted to know what they sounded like. (laughs) I wanted to know what the characters were like and the speed. Everyone, uh, what I love, one of the interesting things about acting is when you see people who know what human rhythms are, right? Mm. When you see someone, look, you see anyone walk down the street and they're different from anyone else walking down, you know, people walk with different centers of gravity. They move with different sort of like speeds and paces. They've got their own little thing going on. And there's something wonderful about trying to sink yourself in to the thought patterns and speed and 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 that whole thing that each individual has and going, okay, I've got this. And now the ideas can come out. Mm. That sounded really worse than it did in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded all right to me. Um, I want but to that was an interesting thing because I remember you, 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 uh, you, I had to bribe you with beef stew to come round and just persuade me to write <laughs> this thing. And, and I wouldn't leave until you'd finished. Yeah, and you certainly just come write this bloody thing. I find that quite interesting. I quite like the deadline of, of I like deadlines. I like people going, you've got to do this now. <laughs> you've got to do this now. Um, and I think that's really important to have people working with you to make sure you've, you've got to cut. Look, for me, the process of writing is going, you've got a given amount of time to produce something. Now go. Hmm. I hear that from a lot of writers, that deadlines are really useful so Hugely. that they've got something to head towards, yeah. be that you know six months' time yeah. for a big commission or a week on a rapid response. The last show I did before Cuckooed um, was called 100 Acts of Minor Descent, and the whole, one of the big ideas behind it was you have one year to do the show. You have one year to commit 100 acts. If you don't commit the 100 acts, it's failed. Mm. If you commit the 100 acts, hooray. Mm. And one of the big ideas behind it was that this idea of participation and people joining in. So if we got stickers, we designed stickers for certain things. We'd say uh, we had these stickers for books that just said, also available in charity shops. We gave them out to people, people go and get them, and they go and put them on books, in bookshops, they photograph their efforts, they send them back to us. We make these big collage posters and put them on display in an art exhibition. And there is, within that process, a dialogue, because mm. you're going, here are the stickers. The show now exists outside the theatre. Someone's walked outside the theatre with a sticker, a small thing, a tiny thing, but the show is now living outside that theatre, and then they go and take an action as a result of seeing that show, and they put this sticker somewhere, and they photograph it, they send it back, and we create something from that that they can come and see. Mm. And that's a really fascinating dialogue. Mm. And, and we did that quite often. We would ask people to come and do things. Mm. Um, in Sheffield, we did a Nick Clegg piñata, and, uh, <laughs> and, and it was great. And we asked, we just said, come along. We had suddenly 50 people, uh, and, you know, we just send out a tweet, and 50 people arrive and start smashing hell out of a Nick Clegg piñata. <laughs> and all the photographs, we did an art, I did an art exhibition of all the stuff that we did, mm-hmm. and, and the art exhibition was at the Millennium Gallery. And so it was all the photographs and the designs that we used in the show, uh, because I was working with amazing artists like Noel Douglas and Tracy Mobley and mm-hmm. Greg Matthews, and we'd create all this stuff and what was brilliant was people would crowdsource the photos for the Nick Clegg piñata people just crowdsourced it Mm. now what I love about that is you do this show you've 
got a year, you do these things, you go and create this dialogue with people, you have events that people can join in on, they send you back and stuff into this art gallery, and suddenly Sheffield are going, the Sheffield Museum has said, we want your Nick Clegg pinata to be part of our, of our, ex, of our permanent exhibition as right. part of the history of Sheffield. And there's something really exciting about that process because mm. you've stepped out of stand-up and you're now involved in, in art and you're now involved in a dialogue. Mm. This, um, this feels like it lives somewhere in between Cuckooed. Um, in a similar way that your show Bravo Figaro did. So it's not stand-up, but it's not a play. And it's in a really interesting space between the two of them. So how my exciting. question, how exciting. My question is, the story of Cuckooed, which I'm sure we'll cover in a minute, um, why did you decide that you wanted to perform this story yourself rather than to write a play about it that you weren't performing in yourself? Because this is a true story. I love the idea of, of telling stories that are, that are true stories, that are documented stories, that, you, that reach into reality. And when we did Bravo Figaro, this was a true story. My mum and my dad, I did interviews with them and we played them the audio on stage. I love the fact, you know, this was about my dad dying, this show. Mm. And what was great for me was people going, oh, it must be very hard to do. I was going, no, you're kidding, because one is I'm, I stand, there's a sack barrow on stage, which was my dad's sack barrow, which he used to use on the building site. There were, as a lamp on stage, which my nan had and gave to my mum. Mm. All the medical packaging was my dad's medical packaging. All this stuff was around me. All the, so every prop on stage was real. It was part mm. of the fabric of my family. And the voices on stage are my mum and my dad and my brother. And so it's like, it, it's, it's, a very stru- it's very comforting to hear those things and be around those things. But it's also, if you like, a, a, a guideline to follow these rules unwritten rules that you try and root it in reality in mm-hmm. truth okay. and that's really important for me so this being a true story um tell us what the story is in a nutshell two sentences three at max the story is about how a very good friend of mine who was an anti-arms trade activist was a spy for BAE Systems, or spying for BA Systems, Britain's biggest large arms company, and about how is it he was exposed and what those ramifications are, emotionally and politically. Mm. Um, so it's a true story, yeah. and you decided that the best way to tell it was to tell it yourself. Yeah. So how was the process of creating Cuckooed? Because we've had you on the Travcast before, speaking yeah. about Bravo Figaro and that process. How has the process of Cuckooed been different from the process of creating Bravo? The process of, of Cuckooed has been really interesting because I've gone to friends who know this story. There's a group of us who are all tied up together at that time as activists and as friends. And what we've done is when I interviewed them, we've had this strange process of collective remembering. So what we do is we create um, samba sounds in the distance. (laughs) The sound of Latin America here today. (laughs) (laughs) I think that might be a telephone. Carry on. Um, 
That was yours, wasn't it? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we've done is create... Um, it's an act of collective remembering. So everyone has, that I've talked to has talked about their relationship and our relationship to the main protagonist. Mm. And what we felt, what we feel, what we think about this. And, and what's been fascinating is this act of collective remembrance. So we remember these things together. And there's something really interesting about you can't deviate if you've got five people going, no, that's not what happened, Mark. This is what <laughs> happened. There's something really interesting. And also, there's been a really fascinating process that's gone on, and we've reflected it in the show. At one point when I was interviewing somebody, I remembered how awful, utterly awful I'd been. I mean, truly awful. And <laughs> I, we were just remembering that. And I apologised to this person. And I think it's... For the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's been quite an interesting process where we've sort of come together to retell this tale. And in the process of doing it, certain things have been resolved within ourselves. Mm. Some of them haven't. Some of them have. But it's also it's a political reflection. It's about... This is a timely tale. One of the reasons people often don't... I, I've talked to a lot of activists about this. A mate of mine, he had uh, a police spy in his... Um, anti-globalization group mm -hmm. and they found out about their police spy because the police spy took his mobile into work and it accidentally went off it phoned up one of the other activists went onto their answer machine because they weren't in and so the activist gets home and finds this answer machine message of the bloke who's in their group talking to these cops obviously going through photographs going well he's more anarchist they're more socialist they're in the mm -hmm. socialist world and that was how they discovered And I said, why didn't you do anything? And he said, well, same reason you didn't do anything, because at the time we thought we were the only ones. Hmm. And actually now we find out we're not. And there's something interesting about that, about suddenly going, this story is part of a bigger story and all of our voices count about this. Mm. What have been the challenges on getting a story like this onto the stage? Um, well, one is the, the, the actual interview. There's masses of material. If I had my way, it would be three hours long. Right? <laughs> it would be three hours long and people would come on and would there be questions afterwards. And anyone who didn't answer, get over 80%, would be forced to watch it again before <laughs> being able to leave. Right? That's how I'd run it. Wow. <laughs> it's a new form of theatre I call Pol Pot Theatre. So what, we'll see it, how that one goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Radical re-education, one lock-in at a time. The thing <laughs> that is interesting about how we get this together is, is about looking at all the interviews and about, there's a real strangeness to the interviews uh, because you want to have those voices. Those voices are really important because there's a collective ownership on this story. Mm -hmm. And that's really exciting mm. for me as a stand-up, who's come from stand-up to go, this isn't just my voice, this isn't just my story, this is collective ownership and we've come together to tell a story. And you've got these different voices, we've used video projection um, and we've done interviews with people and the difficulties have been I suppose, how do we cut it all down? How do we cut it all down and still have those voices being authentic and having ownership on the story, but working within a narrative and a plot and a, and a pace mm. that makes it exciting theatre? 
I guess in that sense, you as editor choosing what parts are included and what parts aren't mm. of the voices of your friends is the role of writer in this piece as well. Yeah, yeah. Writer slash dictator. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that I am this. I am the Rupert Murdoch of Cuckooed. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Sorry, I'm, I'm handing my notes in. Uh, I'm afraid you can't. I've hacked your email. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got one final question for you. Yes. Um, you've been creeping your way into theatre, bit by bit. Yeah. Um, what do you like about it? What is it that tempts you into our world? I think it's my world. It is now. No, I think it is my world. I, I started out by doing uh, studying theatre arts at Bretton Hall. And so I always knew that I loved stand-up and I loved people like Keith Allen and uh, when they were doing stand-up or Woody Allen, people like that, that Dave Allen, all the Allens. I loved, <laughs> I particularly loved that. So it's a circle coming back round so to for me it's, where it's you started. Been, I love what I love is finding those different ways of trying to communicate with other people. So you work together in collaborative ways, um, and I think all the work that I've done has, in the past five six years has really sh- shown that through. And I'll give you an example. Um, I did one show which was about the Serious Organised Crime and Police Act. Mm-hmm. You needed to give the police notification to do a demonstration outside Parliament and a, a radius around Parliament mm-hmm. six days before, and um, we pushed that as far as we could I decided to comply with that to the nth degree mm-hmm. so I would go in and every week I'd like to do a demonstration I'd like to do a demonstration I did a demonstration to defend surrealism two days later I did a demonstration to smash surrealism I did a demonstration outside Westminster Abbey God's dead I did a demonstration outside Channel 4 Big Brother shit I did all these demonstrations all over the place and we worked out that one person with one banner needs permission so if you get lots of one people together doing demonstrations on different things they still have to provide the police with notification and all the bureaucracy that that ensues Mm -hmm. so we would have these things called mass loan demonstrations where you had 300 people who'd all applied to demonstrations and had to get individual notifications to the police and the police had to respond to them and then they'd all turn up and they'd be waving their banners and it'd be stop the war in Iraq stop putting bits in cheese make children play in the rain bigger shoe sizes for women all this stuff would be happening and actually we created this piece of performance are that was also political then we formed um a demonstrating company called mcdemos mm-hmm. so people could write to us if you lived outside london and we would apply to the police the police had to send you the paperwork mm-hmm. and then we would demonstrate and you would give us your slogans and your banners and we would demonstrate and photograph it and send you the photograph and all of this turned into this massive show that was in fact a piece of performance art so in itself it's a kind of piece of theater as well Exactly, exactly. So when you create these things, you know, look, when you do interventions of any kind, whether they be some kind of uh, political intervention, whether it be, or or specifically if you do sort of like the the situationist and street stuff, which I've done a lot of, Mm -hmm. that is creating a form of theatre. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, it's about using as many different disciplines as possible, whether Mm -hmm. it be putting on an art show, whether it be actually putting on performance art that turns into a live show, whether it be, we did a a thing called the manifesto, Uh where I went and got the audience to provide all sorts of ideas and we discuss it. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful thing about it was it turned up, turned for me, it turns the idea of the audience on its head. 
As a stand-up, you want them to shut up and listen and laugh when you want them to. This time, I want them to shout out. I want mm. them to talk out, and I'm not going to put them down because I want to encourage them to talk and share ideas. Mm -hmm. I love all of that. I love the different ways of just how you can interact with an audience. It's great because it seems like there's no boundaries inside the way that you approach the idea of being a creator, writer, performer, maker. It's just whatever way comes to you to work with what it is that you want to be looking at. Yeah, and I think that that's really exciting. Mm. That to find those different ways of using different voices and interacting with the audience in different ways. Mm. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much. That is a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.